Uh, if you're visiting with us today, I just want you to know that my name is Kyle, one of the pastors here, and uh, just glad to be here with you, celebrating the Lord. We're glad you chose, grateful that you chose to, to worship with us today. There's a lot of other churches in town, a lot of great churches, uh, so we're honored anytime somebody visits us. Thank you for that. I'm glad you're here. Uh, if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and turn to John chapter 12. John chapter 12, either on your Bible or your device or whatever. Uh, one thing that is semi-noteworthy, at least for me, it's something I still celebrate. may not be something you're celebrating as much anymore, I don't know. Uh, but today marks the fourth year of me being pastor here. And so I just want to thank you. I only bring that up to say that I am uh, forever grateful. Patricia and I, we just had a moment of prayer this morning before we got rolling and just Praise God for all that He's done uh, over the last four years, for what it took to get us here, uh, and, and all those things. Uh, it, Patricia and I labored in prayer over, over ever even coming, and so uh, grateful to the Lord for His faithfulness. Look forward to many, many more years of ministering with you guys. Amen? Amen. Good to see you. All right, so John chapter 12. We are officially 12 chapters into this series in John. Uh, which we've subtitled Seeing Jesus and Finding a Life. Uh, essentially what we're after each week is to look at the text, uh, within the text, to see Jesus, to believe in Jesus, and having believed in Jesus, to find life in His name. Uh, this is the whole purpose of the book. John chapter 20, verse 31, John writes, he says, these are written, all of these things are written, this book is written for you, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, that He is the Son of God, that He's the Messiah, and that having believed in Him, you may have life in His name. Amen? And so last week, what we saw is that Jesus was anointed by Mary uh, in a great act of devotion, which was actually anointing Him for, as He says, His death. Uh, we also saw that believers were increasing in their devotion, uh, and that unbelievers seemed to be doubling down on their deviation from God. And the chief priests, at the end of that text, were growing increasingly hostile, uh, that things are heating up for Jesus in this narrative, if you will, uh, that, that Jesus' time to die, as he said, is drawing near. And so this week, we're going to look at his entrance into Jerusalem. He is entering in for his, uh, the final days of his life. And I want, us, I want us to look at what it meant for the world that this would happen, and then also what it means for us today. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray. Father, we love you. We are glad to be here, glad to be in your word. Uh, we thank you for the rain today, God. We thank you for the cooler weather. Uh, we are uh, grateful for this opportunity to sit in the presence of our brothers and sisters, to look at your word, and to have your Holy Spirit minister to uh, our souls. And so we ask now that, that you move in us. And as we look at this text, that we would believe even further in Jesus Christ, and that He would change our life, that we would find new life in His name. Father, we love You. We are unequipped to handle this without You, and so we are desperately needing Your help. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So in chapter 12, verse 12, is where we'll start. I'm just going to read a couple of verses. He says, The next day the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees 
and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Now, I want to take this time to remind you of John chapter 6. In John chapter 6, we saw that as Jesus' popularity was growing rapidly, after he'd fed the 5,000, I mean, he is, he, he is popular like, like popular I hadn't seen before. And so uh, people are looking to him to provide all sorts of things, namely some more of that good bread he gave them. And, and what happens is, is that he senses that the crowd is fixing uh, or is about to seize him to take him and to make him, to force him to be king. And so it says that he, knowing that, he withdraws to the mountain by himself. The, the Jews were always hoping that the Messiah would reign on earth. They're hoping for a new kingdom on earth. It's just as far as, as their minds would go with it. Even here in this text, what we see is that they're wanting him to be their king. They're, namely, they're wanting him to take Israel back and to establish an earthly kingdom, an earthly rule. But right from the start of his, of his ministry, Jesus has been a disappointment to, to anyone for salvation through politics or national power. But, but God's plan is that Jesus would become a king like they weren't expecting, now, a king like they didn't realize they even needed, that he would become the savior of the world. And so these Jews ought to, at least as we see their response to Christ, ought to make us ask ourselves, for what, person, or for what reason, sorry, for what purpose am I seeking Jesus? Am I seeking Him for some earthly gain? Am I seeking Jesus to make my life more comfortable or easy in times of trouble? Has, uh, because what happens here is what we're going to see is that God has a much different plan, a far far better plan for his son's purpose in life and his death and his resurrection. Verses 14 through 19. Now let's read this. It says, And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard uh, that he had they heard sorry they heard he had done this sign this raising Lazarus from the dead. So the Pharisees said to one another, "You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the whole world has gone after him." And so the triumphal entry fulfills this prophecy in Zechariah. 9 9 which says rejoice greatly o daughter of zion shout aloud o daughter of jerusalem behold your king is coming to you now don't miss this little line here it says your king is coming to you righteous and having salvation is he humble and mounted on a donkey on a colt the foal of a donkey you see jesus did not come with an army seeking a throne he was not coming to set up an earthly kingdom he came with righteousness and salvation in hand, ready, ready to give His life so that the world could receive His righteousness by salvation through faith in Christ. Now the Jews were looking for a better king, but, but even they couldn't fathom what Jesus would mean for not only them, but for the whole world. 
So, so much of what Jesus said and did throughout his ministry didn't make sense until after the resurrection and the ascension. After the resurrection, he spent time with them, explaining to them from the scriptures how, how the holy text, these scriptures, were speaking always about him. The law and the prophets, everything was pointing to that moment of his death and resurrection. God's plan was set in place from the beginning of time, and nothing was going to stop it. But that wouldn't stop the Pharisees. The Pharisees were trying from the beginning to get rid of Jesus, to end this revolution. The crowd that had seen him call Lazarus out of the tomb, they were hard at work. They were bearing witness about Jesus and his miracles. And this massively irritated the Pharisees. I mean, they're angry. If you look at what they say, they say, you see that you are gaining nothing. They're saying we're losing. We're losing our followers. We're losing people. They're following Him and not us. And before you know it, we're going to lose our place and our nation, as we saw in chapter 10. That was their greatest fear. He says, look, the whole world has gone after Him. You see that? Look, the whole world has gone after Him. That right there, we have another statement from rulers. And we also have another double meaning. They say it out of fear that they're losing their place in their nation, that the people no longer follow them, and it won't be long before Rome steps in and takes everything. But it's really an odd statement because they wouldn't have been concerned about the whole world. They would have been only concerned about the Jewish nation. But that's not what they said. They didn't say, look, the whole nation has gone after him. They said uh, that, that certainly would have made more sense, but they said, look, the whole world has gone after him. You see, God's ways are so much higher than ours. His goodness is so much grander than we might ever imagine, you guys. How does John 3.16 start? For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world. That's right. Let me, let me read it to you just so we're uh, kind of all on the same page here. Read John 3.16 a couple other verses with it. It says this, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. This is the very reason that Jesus comes. He comes so that the world, not just the nation of Israel, the whole world can come after Jesus, can go after Christ, can find salvation and righteousness in Him. God is building the church. He's, he's building a bride for Himself from every tribe, from every nation, from every tongue. The question is, have, have you gone after Jesus Christ? Are you pursuing Christ? Or have you created your own version of Jesus? Is He the Savior of your soul, your greatest treasure in life, the thing that you cherish most? Or do you only keep Him around to make your life more comfortable when things get hard or don't go your way? Are you simply going through the motions? Let's read verses 20 and 21. It says, Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethesda in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Now, if you're taking notes, got your worship guide in front of you, you can write this down. We must seek Jesus above all else. We must seek Jesus above all else. 
I love this text because what you have right before it is the Pharisees upset saying, see, the whole world goes after him. And then the very next verse, you have literally the whole world coming after him. You have people who would have been outside the Jewish nation coming after Christ, Gentiles, coming to worship God, coming to see Jesus. So they find one of the twelve and they ask to see Jesus. I mean, surely the air was abuzz with his name and they're asking, where is Jesus? We want to see him. I absolutely love the contrast between what we see with the Greeks and what we saw with the Jews. Their seeking is a little bit different. The Jews wanted a new kingdom, a new king on earth. They wanted freedom. They wanted Rome to be wiped out. They wanted the days of the promised land to be restored. But the Greeks are coming humbly. They're saying, we just want to see Jesus. Just give us Jesus Christ to see this man who performs these mighty works, to see this man whose name is buzzing about the air. Give us Jesus. Show us to Him. He's who we want. Friends, this ought to be the great desire of our souls. To to simply see Jesus, to savor Jesus alone above everything else that this pitiful, crummy world may offer you. He is the King who has come with righteousness and salvation in His hands. Let's look at verse 22-24. through This is how He's going to do it. He says, And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So now that the world is seeking Him, Jesus says, My hour has come. Now's Now is the time. For what? What's to die? For the sins of God's children. His death, like the seed, will bear much fruit. It will fall, but it will rise again. It will bear much fruit. It will bring many sons and daughters to God. In fact, He would have never been the life-giving head of or in the root of the church if He had not come down to earth and died on the cross. It required it. One living Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, dies, gives His life for the children of God through His death that by faith in Him, we can be raised to new life with Him. Amen? If you haven't placed your faith in Christ, if you haven't trusted Him as your Savior, then friend, you are lost in your own unrighteousness. You're you're condemned by your sin currently, as we saw in John 3, 17 and 18. You're destined for an eternity in hell. You you will never be good enough to change that. There's not enough good decisions or good actions that you can do to change your life, your destiny right now as an unbeliever. Once you admit that your righteousness is useless and then beg Jesus for His, I mean, this is the place we have to come to. We have to realize that we're not good enough. And once we realize we're not good enough, we see that Jesus is more than enough, that He's the one I beg, that He's the one I go to, He's the one I, I, I ask for mercy and grace to be saved. And once you admit that yours is useless, your righteousness is useless, you beg for the righteousness of Christ, placing your faith in Him rather than yourself or something else or someone else, then you'll receive the very righteousness of God. This is a promise to us. And your sin record. Past, present, future, your sin is then wiped clean by God's grace through the death of His Son. You can now fully come alive, fully be yourself, be who God created you to be. You can trust the Savior with your life. And if you do say that you're saved by God through Jesus, then you must fight to grow in your affections for Christ. 
Because Satan is going to tempt you with everything in this world to rob you of your affections, to steal from you your, your, your destiny, to, to, to take from you and to destroy your very soul. This is what Satan is after. In all of life, we are to seek to meet with Jesus. Like, like He's the point of everything in my life, to see Him, to savor Him above everything else, to trust Him. As Christians, our seeking Jesus doesn't stop. In fact, it should be amplified. As we grow in our faith, we grow in our affections. We desire to be with Jesus more and more as we grow in our faith. As we see who He is, we see God's character, we see His affection for us. We see that God did so love the world, a world that was blaspheming the name of God, a world that was rebelling against the name of God, for God so loved them that He sent His Son for them. As we begin to see the character of God, we begin to fall more and more in love with God. In Luke 19, there's a really somewhat peculiar verse there. The disciples are praising the name of Jesus and the Pharisees get mad about it. And they're like, make them stop. And in Luke 19, Jesus answers. He says that if I were to make them stop praising, that these very rocks would cry out in their place. Folks, I'm not letting a rock cry out with praise in my place. God saved me through the death of His own Son and the washing of regeneration by the Holy Spirit. I'll never let rocks cry out for me. Jesus is my treasure. It's not my wife, though she is a treasure to me. It's not my kids, though they're a tremendous gift from the Lord. It's not my job, though I hope to be here until I breathe my last breath. It's Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He is my rock. He is my shield. He is my firm foundation. He's a very present help in time of need. He is my Savior and my refuge. When I wake, I want Jesus. In my marriage, I want Jesus. In my parenting of my own children, I want Jesus. In Sunday worship, I want to see Jesus. In every hour of every day, give me Jesus Christ. Let us go through life as the Greeks with no other agenda but to see Jesus Christ above everything else in this world. He's it. Amen. Praise God. I hope we all do, brother. He is all you need. He's it. He's he's more than enough. The question is, do we believe it? Do we mean it when we say we love Jesus? Do our affections show that we love Jesus? Or am I constantly falling for something else in this world? Do I cast my affections on pleasure, meaningless pleasure? Do we believe it? In verse 25 through 26, The last two verses that I want to read for us today. Jesus continues and He says this, Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves Me, he must follow Me. And where I am, there will My servant be also. If anyone serves Me, the Father will honor him. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. We must serve Jesus with our whole life. We must seek Jesus above everything else. We must serve Jesus with our whole life. You may underline the word whole there on your paper. Whole doesn't imply partly. Whole doesn't imply just a piece of you. Whole implies whole. It's just that. It's every every ounce of you. 
that we, and Jesus says, whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. So, so we ought to seek Jesus, yes. Let's seek to see Christ. Show us this Christ. Where is He? Let us see. Absolutely, yes and amen. But that's, even that's not enough. Jesus ups the ante for these Greeks who are looking to see Him. And He says, you must follow Him also. And to do that, we must hate life in this world. We must hate this present life. The great purpose of faith in Christ Jesus is to detach us from this world by setting before us another world, a greater world, one that actually fulfills your life, namely the one that's to come. As Matthew Henry says in his commentary, he says, many people hug themselves to death. I love that. Many people hug themselves to death, losing their life by loving it too much. Lord, help us. He goes on to say, those who so love their physical life will shorten their days. They will lose both the life they are so fond of and the infinitely better life. They will lose a real happiness in the other world, even as they think they are securing an imaginary one in this world. Buyer, beware. Beware of what you're buying into. Beware of what it is that your affections are falling on. Because in a very real sense, Satan is a thief who seeks to steal and to kill and to destroy your life. And he will set things before you that look awesome. He'll make you feel awesome in a moment. Maybe a long moment. Maybe you can go in a season of sin without feeling anything other than joy or happiness. But I'm telling you to beware. That in a very real sense, you'll think you're gaining life, that you're living your best life now. In a very real sense, your best life doesn't come until another life. In a very real sense, we're called to give things up. We're called to sacrifice. We're called to suffer for the Lord. This is one thing the apostles were very clear on throughout the New Testament. It was not your best life that identified you with Christ. It was your suffering that identified you with Christ. It was the fact that you, they can count it as joy to suffer for the name of the Lord. Oftentimes we think that whatever I can get in this life is God's blessing. And sometimes it's not God's blessing. Sometimes it's God's judgment. Sometimes He's turning you over to the desires of your flesh. It's punishment. I don't know where that line is for you. I don't know what it looks like for you. I know what it looks like in my life. Most of the time, not all the time. But this is where it requires discernment on your part to seek the Lord, to know His Word to trust Him, to say, I want life and nothing else but You alone, Christ. Nothing else will sustain me but You. I mean, this was the whole point of Ecclesiastes, right? We're just getting more of, of that now from Christ. So what we're getting at here is, but for the one who hates the life of his body, to gain the life of, of his soul, there is a promise of eternal life. So what does it mean to hate your physical life? Does it mean that you walk around sad? Or that you walk around depressed? Or maybe abusing yourself in some way? Maybe it's denying yourself some luxury. Is that what it is? No. Not, not at all. To, to hate your physical life means that we consider the things of this world as comparatively worthless and incapable of making us happy when compared to the things of God. 
And we must cheerfully part with the things of this world whenever they come to compete with my affection and my love for and my delight in Jesus Christ. Whenever thing is, something is competing with that, that's not God. That's Satan trying to deter me, trying to help my soul wander away from the fold of God. But, but God and His steadfast faithfulness is there He's with me in that. He's showing me through His Word, maybe through others, maybe through community, maybe through prayer, but He's showing me where my affections ought to lie. Namely, that they ought to be in Him. Those who hate their life in this world will be abundantly rewarded by dwelling eternally in the presence of Jesus in heaven. The the Greeks wanted to see Jesus, but He let them know that it isn't enough just to see Him. They, they must also give up their life by serving Him. He says, if you're to serve Me, you follow Me. So they're to give up their lives by following Jesus. When you follow someone, it's not just a piece of you that follows, right? It's not like one leg goes this way while my other leg goes this way. That would look really funny and I would hurt myself, right? I actually did that one time. Jasper remembers. <laughs> and it was awful. So anyway... But what happens is, is my whole life follows. If I'm going to follow someone, I follow. It's it's all of me that goes. It's not a piece of me that goes. All of me must follow the Lord. It's a whole life thing here. But what does that mean? What does even that mean? Like we, we hear this a lot in church, follow Jesus. But what does that look like? Well, it means that we do what He says and we go where He tells us. That there are three basic means given to you by God's grace for you to learn the character and instruction of God so that you may follow Him well. Do you know what they are? Number one, you can write these down in your margin if you want. These are three things that the Lord gives you to help you follow. One is His Word. You cannot effectively follow the Lord without knowing His character. You cannot effectively follow the Lord without knowing His instructions. What is it He's asking us to do? What is it that He's asking us to give up? What is wisdom? What is truth? In a day where a lot of people are wanting to know what truth is, it's probably good for us as people who claim to know the truth to know the truth and to live it, to follow it. God's Word is the first and foremost place where we learn about His character and His instructions for us. The second thing is prayer. First thing is God's Word. Second thing is prayer. Prayer is the number one way that we say, I need you, Heavenly Father. Prayer is that place where we we come to the end of our rope, so to speak, and we sit down before the Lord and we tell Him that we're in desperate need of His wisdom, His instruction, His action in our life. It's where we confess where our hearts have gone astray. It's where we trust the Holy Spirit to do the work of applying God's Word to our lives. It's why we're told to be constant in prayer, never ceasing throughout the day. And as you go through your day, you're just in a constant conversation with the Lord. It doesn't mean that you're praying 24-7. It just means that you're aware all day long, how much you need Jesus, how much you need God's intervention in your life. And so you're constantly asking, seeking, knocking on Him. In prayer, we're confessing that we're utterly helpless. 
that we're desperately dependent upon God in all areas of our life for overcoming sin, for seeking wisdom, for strengthening your mind or your body or your soul. The third thing that God gives us is community. God gives us His Word. He gives us prayer. He gives us community. Namely, God gives us Himself and He gives us others. The truth is, in, Christian, in this Christian walk, this journey from this life to the next, I need you. I need you. I need every single one of you in my life. I need your prayers. I need your encouragement when I'm down. I need your help. I need you to use your gifts throughout the body. Gifts I don't have or won't possess. The Lord hasn't given to me. He gave them to you. We, we need one another. We need each other to become the body of Christ. To make up the body. An active body that's living and alive and and moving. You are uniquely wired. You're uniquely placed in this church to grow in your faith and to help others grow in their faith and to be joined to one another in unity. Holy Spirit-empowered unity. A unity that cannot be touched by the things of this world. And power. And most of all, to be bound together in love for one another. You see, God never wanted Christianity to be some lone ranger event. It's not me against the world. It was always meant to be lived out in the context of community. This is why He is saving people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. We're a, we here at New Life Community Church are just a local expression of a large community that God is building, namely the church, Big C Church, the church. And we're going to fully experience that thing in heaven one day, and I cannot wait. But until then, He gives us one another. So I say, pick up your Word, get to know God. Get to know His instruction for your life. Pray to Him. Ask for Him to help you in your, grow in your godliness. Join the community of the saints by fully investing yourself in a local church. And when I say investing yourself in a local church, I'm not talking about just the activities of the church. Like That's just a piece of what we do. Those things help. But when you invest yourself in a local church, I don't mean just join a serve team. This is not me asking for your service. What, I, what I'm asking you or encouraging you to do is to join the life of the body. To be connected to someone. To not be out on your own, out on an island trying to live for the Lord. It's impossible. You're too weak for that. We need one another. We need community. Now here, that happens best within community groups. Within our home groups and within our um, recovery groups. So I encourage you, ask me, ask anyone around you about those. and point you in the right direction. And then follow Him. Now again, we might want to ask, well, what does it mean to follow Him? Alright, I'm going to read my Bible, I'm going to pray, I'm going to join communion, I'm going to be involved. But what does it mean to follow Him? Like, how do I do the big things for God? Right? Anybody grow up in that, that habitat of Christianity where you were always being pointed to do grand, massive, huge things for the Lord? And, and then as you grow older, you realize... I may not be doing grand, massive, huge things for the Lord. My call may just be to, to be a steady diet of faithfulness for the rest of my life. Do you know that that's grand and massive? 
Can I alleviate the burden you may feel that that's huge? I remember having a conversation with my mom one time, and she was, she was just broken over the fact that God, in her eyes, mostly because of the teaching she had heard, but in her eyes had not called her to do something massive, like become a missionary or to move her family somewhere. And I just looked at her. I, it broke my heart, and I just looked at her and said, Mom, what an incredible call you've had on your life to be a stay-at-home mother, to raise three wonderful, if I do say so myself, children. <laughs> to point us to Jesus every single day and to model what godly love and hospitality looks like. You are gifted in a way that I'm not gifted. You see, that's true for all of you. Don't don't hate on your life because it don't look like somebody else's life. God's uniquely wired and placed you for a purpose. So, how do you know? All right, that's the question. Everyone wants to know, what's God's will for my life? I think Charles Spurgeon said it very well this way. He said, it's a long quote, but it's so worth it. He says, this is what Christ prefers above all else, that His servants should follow Him. If we do that, if we will serve Him in the way that He wants, by doing the next best thing, the thing that we can do, that simple act that lies within our capacity, which will bring us no special honor, but is what our Lord desires of us. In effect, we can hear Jesus saying, if anyone serves me, let him follow me by doing just that piece of work I've put before him at the time. It's literally just accomplishing in faithfulness the things that are before you each day. You're at work. People begin to gossip about someone. Is it more faithful to God to not participate, maybe even to stick up for the one being gossiped about, or is it more faithful to gossip, to join in? Is it more faithful to God to raise my kids under the wisdom and the instruction of the Lord, or is it more faithful to God to not care how they turn out? Is it more faithful to God to remain faithful to my spouse, to not have wondering eyes, to not seek another treasure? Or is it more faithful to God to not withhold anything from my life? I think you get the answer to all of those correct, right? Following the Lord is just simply that. It's being obedient day in and day out to what's in front of you. Do that. Be encouraged. You can do that. It's not too hard for you. That's not too difficult for you. In fact, The Lord is not calling you to do something that He's not also equipping you for. He's given you His Holy Spirit on the inside of you. The laws of the Lord, His desires for you are written on your heart. He's with you. Be encouraged. Be of good cheer. And let's follow Him. Now, for what purpose? Why? This is my life, Kyle. Quit telling me what to do with my life. I want to go and do what I want to do, and I may come back to this sometime later. Why is this important for me? Well, first, for the one who devotes himself to Christ Jesus, there is a deep, eternal happiness that's found only in Christ. There's just no other way around it. There's a deep, eternal happiness found only in Jesus. Jesus says, where I am, there will my servant be also. Where where Christ is, there my servant is also. Now, there's no doubt in this moment he's speaking about heaven. He's speaking of another world right now. 
I mean, think about it. He's comparing hating this life to gaining eternal life that where he is in heaven, he's going there. This is a reality for him already. He knows it's coming. And so he's speaking of heaven. He says, where I am in heaven, my servant will be also. He, he was sure of it. He was near it. But, but the beauty of this is that for Christ, don't, don't miss this, for Christ, heaven is the joy and the reward for His sufferings, for, for the beatings, for the spitting, for the name-calling, for the abuse, for the allegations, for, for the people to turn his back, their backs on Him, for, for ultimately dying with the weight of the sin of the world on His back. Christ endured it all, it says in Hebrews, for the joy that was set before Him. Heaven. He, he endured it all for the joy that was set before Him. He thinks so much of heaven that, that He says, this is my reward. He thinks so much of it that He offers it to you also as an eternal joy and reward. But following Christ leads to eternal joy with Him. The second thing, why is this important? is that following Christ in this life will bring you honor from your heavenly Father. It will bring you honor, ultimately. And God will make up to you all your hard work. God will make up to you all of your loss by giving you honor far beyond what such worthless rebels of this earth could expect to receive. In Mark chapter 10, verse 29, we read this. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. You see, God is not calling you to let go of something without any eternal reward for that. Without a present reward. Like what he's saying here is that if, if following Jesus causes your brother or your sister or your mother or your father to hate your guts and never want to know anything else about you, that He has given you a hundredfold brothers and sisters in Christ, mothers and fathers in Christ. I've been saying it for a long time. It's no slight to my family. I love my family. But I often feel so much closer to many of you than I do my own family. There's something about a spiritual bond that's just deeper than any blood bond will be. There's something about this that is more significant than blood. At least our blood. And it's what Christ is building. It's what He's doing within us. So the reward, though, is honor. It's true, lasting honor. The highest honor. It's the honor that comes from God. That those who serve Christ must humble themselves. Yes. And, and often you humble yourselves by being insulted. Often you'll be humbled by the ways that you're tempted and the things that you notice your heart desires. But all of those things, all of your efforts for the Lord will be rewarded in your following by being exalted in Christ in due time. Amen? Now, we're not told what happened to the Greeks. It just leaves it there, that they wanted to see Jesus, and Jesus responded. But here's what I do know. 
I do know that anyone who asks about the way of Jesus, the way to Jesus, with their eyes fixed on Him, that that person will find Him and they will follow Him all their days into eternal life. You can rest assured of that. If your heart desires Christ, if you love Him, it's because He loved you first. Amen? Would you stand to your feet this morning?